You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. So, uh, as I, I mentioned, uh, I had semi-forgotten, or just, it came up on me so fast, I didn't realize this morning I was uh, asked to speak to uh, a conference uh, that was populated, populated uh, uh, for people that are across Asia, I'll put it that way, and, you know, I used to travel to Asia uh, one or two times a year, and it's neat to, to be on a, a video format where you can kind of scroll through and see faces and faces that you recognize and people that you recognize, which is really fun. Uh, and so, but I did have to get up at six, which for some of you is normal. That's not normal for me. I'm not really a morning person. Uh, so that's two days in a row. I made it to men's prayer yesterday for the first time. It's amazing. Hey, uh, it was awesome. It was a good time. And uh, I'll probably do it again. Yeah. <laughs> early. My intercessors are like, well, we pray all night, you know. Hey, I, I've done that. Did all night prayer and worship before. I, I led worship from like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. before many times, which is why my voice is the way that it is now. Uh, no, no, I don't say no more, Lord. I'm good with that. There's young, hungry lions and stallions and such that I would do it if you asked me to, probably. Um, so anyway, uh, it was a real honor to do that, and uh, it's it just incredible. I, I love what God is doing on the earth today. And uh, Greta and I think Emily uh, and maybe Harmony too went up to Maine. Did you go to Maine last week? Yeah, to uh, Tenacious Love uh, last week, which is up in uh, Jamie Dixon's house. And what an incredible conference! Uh, I spoke to Jamie this week and. Uh, you know, debriefed a little bit because I was in California for leaders meetings last week. We have a kind of a collective uh, of leaders, business leaders, uh, government leaders, uh, church leaders, and so on and so forth. And we get together the last week of September every year. And uh, we, we kind of do spiritual think tanks type of stuff and uh, just pray for each other and share what God is doing. And uh, it's incredible. We've got, uh, y- you know, a, a, a top fashion designer. If you knew fashion, which I don't, uh, <laughs> clearly. I mean, well, I mean, this is, I look pretty good today. Yeah, I'm doing good. My wife buys a lot of clothes for me. Um, so if there's colors, it's probably her. If it's like black, white, and gray, it's what I buy because I can coordinate that. Um, but, uh, you know, she was there. It was her first time and just got really lit up. And we had divine appointments even as we were having fun, you know, by the coast and got to minister to people. And uh, it was uh, really an incredible time. And even the first night, you know, we sort of had a plan. Tony Kim and I, uh, you know, made a plan and a schedule for uh, what the week was going to be. And the Spirit of God just dropped in an uncanny way during worship and everybody got wrecked and I, I just started getting uh, a real downloads and strategy for the season that we're in, the season that we're coming. And so there are going to be some shifts in the way that we operate, even on a Sunday morning, which is going to be incredible. And I'm on the other side of, you know, surgery, I'm, I'm uh, eight weeks to the day, 
yesterday, eight weeks and a day, uh, away from spine surgery, and uh, my I'm starting to taper off some medications that I've been on for a little over a year now, 14 months. I'm not not the narcotic stuff. I, I mean, I've been on those too. Um, fortunately, I just don't have chemical dependency issues. I can take that stuff for you know two, three months and then just stop on a dime. It's never been an issue for me. But um, the medication that I have been on is, you know, it's one of the side effects is sort of brain fog and you know memory recall. Sometimes is weird. Like I'll look at you and I don't know your name, even though I've known you for 20 years. It's it, it can be frustrating. But so I'm starting to taper off of that. But the real praise report for me is uh, I had forgotten what it was like to actually sleep more than an hour at a time at night. Uh, and I've been doing that for years where I would just sleep and then I, I wake up just because I was in pain. I, I'm so used to pain that I, I, this was normal life to me. And so now for me to sleep, you know, four or five, uh, even there was one night I slept like eight hours straight. I don't know what that's like. Um, it's such a weird thing for me. It's a wonderful thing. So I, I feel renewed. Um, I'm not pain-free, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm progressing in the right direction. And I'm super happy about that. So, yeah, God is good. God is good, and so are well-skilled surgeons. So um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to um, Acts 3 and 4. And we're in a, a really uh, interesting season here in America. You know, we're coming up to midterm elections and all those things and all the stuff that goes along with that. And, and there were some things that I really wanted to talk about from a biblical perspective that I may do, um, you know, online or just midweek or something like that. But I can't get away from the simplicity of what God is doing right now with his people. And when we break things down to, their, to the simplest math, is what I, what I often say. I, well, I was young at one time, and I, to some people, I'm still young. Yeah, I always, you know, if my mom was still alive, I, I would still be the baby of the family. I, you, know, you never stop being the baby once you're the baby. I'm the youngest of the family, and I still act like it. Um, but... Uh, you know, I was new to the prophetic. And when you're new to the prophetic and you're, you've not really been trained and initiated, because sometimes we, we fall into this thought process that because we have a gift from God that we're automatically skilled in it because it's from God. So therefore, we must be incredible. Therefore, because I had a prophetic unction once, I must be a prophet. And then, you know, we make business cards and we call ourselves prophet and we hand them out when we go to a church. Uh, most people don't do that, but it does happen. You know, I, a couple times I've had people, you know, first time at the church and they hand me this business card and they tell me they're a prophet or they're an apostle and I have no idea who they are. Um, but in my propheticness, in my 20s, I was constantly thinking about every parameter of every little impression that I had. And, you know, I felt like the Lord was shifting me in a particular direction. But then I was like, but I don't know if he's shifting me. What if it's just my mind? And, you know, what if he really wants me to go here? Or what if he wants me to stay back there? And I don't really know. But I, and so I went and I met with... Um, uh, Pastor Steve Boyce out of New Life Worship Center, and I used to do a lot of things uh, with that church back in the 90s and even into the early 2000s, and he was gracious enough. He met with me at the end of the day, and, uh, and uh, you know, I walked in the office, and he let me talk for about an hour, 
He had much more patient, he was much more patient with me than I would be with me, probably in that, that same scenario. And I was going through all the, you know, what in the name of propheticness, all of the prophetic scenarios, and I say that tongue in cheek, of what I felt like God was leading me to do. And finally, after about an hour, he stopped and he gave me the wisest piece of advice that I think I have ever received in my life. And he said, Paul, I find that God is often in the simple math. And we can get caught up in the kind of the clouds and the mist and, and the confusion of everything that's going on around us. And, you know, we could go this way, we could go that way. But God is usually in the simplicity. When it comes to direction, he's often not in the complexity. That's something that we fabricate in our own minds. I'm adding to his words. Um, but God is in the simple math. And so when we are in times of turmoil in our individual lives, in our family structure, in our work, or uh, in our nation, when we're in times like that, still, God is often in the simple math. And we have a crisis of identity in the church. It's not his issue, it's our issue. And the issue is that we're looking for, to place our identity or our self-worth in things that are not in the simplicity of knowing who Jesus is. Like Paul said, you know, I, I long to know nothing but Jesus and his death and his resurrection. I mean, if that's good enough for Apostle Paul, like the Apostle Paul of the Bible, then that's probably good enough for us. Jesus, again, he said, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing. He was completely settled in the way that he related to the Father, that his identity was rooted in his sonship, not in his function. And so the reason why we have a crisis of identity in the church is because we are, we are constantly feeling compelled to have our identity rooted in function instead of the simplicity of just being family. Because that's, that's how we're valued in, uh, you know, in our work life, in our school life. We're constantly looking for something tangible that will give us self-worth when all of the worth that we need is in him. And once we get into that place, that flows out through all of the functions that he will have us operating or the roles that he will have us operating in, in life. So my question to you today is what are you known for? What do you want to be known for? This is one of my f favorite topics of all time, is this one question. What are you known for? You know, on the flip side, I think, and, and Tony wrote a great post on this a couple months ago, but I think we're addicted to this idea of identity. When identity really is simple, and we try to make it complex, but it, it really is simple. Jim Driscoll uh, was a spiritual son of John Paul Jackson. John Paul planted this church, and I wasn't here very long. I started here in February of 2007, and uh, Jim spoke that year, 
and he, I, I still remember this message to this day. And the title of his message was, Don't Have a Thing. Because in the church, a lot of times we just, we want to have a thing. You know, what's your thing? What do you do? I've gone to conferences and, you know, heads of church networks and, and other nations have walked up to me and said, well, what do you do? It's like, I don't I, I do what he asked me to do. You know, and then, and then, you know, my friend like elbowed me. He goes like, well, no, he wants to know like, you know, what, what's your life message? My life message is I wake up and I ask God, what do you want to do today? What do you want to say today? See, that's how, that's how he developed me in worship. Now, I used to have a thing. Like, worship used to be my value. As a matter of fact, growing up, I was so hungering for some sort of identity that made me what I was. I was always a, trying to attach worth to myself because I, I, I hadn't figured out how to be settled in him. And so, you know, for a period of time, I was, you know, Paul the soccer player. I was Paul the basketball player. And then I was Paul the martial artist guy. Then I'm Paul the musician. And then, you know, revival, I'm Paul the worship leader. And, and we're doing revival meetings. And, and there came a season of time, and fortunately for me, it wasn't too long. It was like actually two seasons of, of time where the Lord stripped those things from me because all he wanted really was just me and him. The function is, is subservient to our relationship as family. And so once he got, brought me through this process of fire where my role and my function didn't really matter, it was my relationship with him, so that when my role and functions in life changed, my relationship with him was steadfast and remained the same, so it never felt any different to me. So, you know, when I shifted from, you know, one job to coming back to my family's business, it didn't really feel any different to me because my relationship with the Lord was still the same. Now, I, I still went through what we call the dark night of the soul after that, which was really not fun, but it's formative. And so by the time I got here to the bridge, literally... My, my posture week after week as, a, as the worship leader here was, God, what do you want to hear today? That's what I, and you know, people would walk up to me and they would try to give me song requests. Like, I'm not Christian karaoke. Never did that. And as a matter of fact, when I was playing conferences, I would tell the, the, the guys who were ministering, I was like, look, or even before I would go, somebody would ask me to come and do worship at their conference. I was like, I don't do song requests you got to tell your speakers, like, I, I, you know, they, they can't come up to me and tell me to play this song because I know that that's just not how I operate. So if that's what you want, there are a lot of guys out there that can do that. I, I'm not being rebellious. I'm not, I, that's, I just know that if you ask me to do that, it will be like an anointing vacuum. Like if there was anointing in the room, it will just suck the life out of the room because that's not my gift. Like I don't, it's not my gift and it's not my skill. So I, I, you know, that's just not something that I can do. And, and so, uh, you know, I would communicate that because the way that I functioned literally was, you know, I, we would rehearse. And I would put a band together for a conference and we might rehearse, you know, anywhere from five to 30 songs. And we would rehearse for like six to eight hours just for one set of worship. And I would beat on them and, you know, I made a bass player cry once and he was like, I've never played this hard in my life. And he played professionally. Um, and, and then we would go in. But at that moment when we would go in, they all knew, God, what do you want to hear today? And as we're doing a song, I'm still having this conversation with the Lord, and kind of this back channel conversation. What do you want to do now? What do you want to do next? 
you know, how do you want to minister? How do you want to be ministered to? And I remember, you know, Brian Simmons, who does the Passion Translation, he was a pastor here in Connecticut, and they really were the apostolic center of New England at that time. Uh, he hit me up on Facebook. He said, hey, I think we should connect. I was like, okay, he's Brian Simmons. I'm not going to say no. So we went down and met with him, and he, he asked me this question. He goes, well, what's your five-year plan? And I answered, and I said, my five-year plan is to wake up and ask the Lord what he wants to do today. Now, if I asked some young guy that, and they gave me that answer, I'd probably be annoyed. He was gracious. But that's how I had to be, because that's what kept me from having a thing. Because I never wanted to put my value in my function. I wanted my value and my identity to be rooted in Christ. So that as I go through life, and my role and my function changes, and it will, and it did, it doesn't feel any different to me because I'm still positioned under his throne. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? So when we shifted from, you know, being the worship leaders to being the pastors and people are coming up to Debbie and they're saying, well, what do we call you now? And she's like, Debbie? I don't, I don't know. I was, I was, I was, it was weird for me because I didn't feel any different. Because I know who I am, and I know who he is, and I know the disparity between the two. That's humility. Humility is not timidity. It's not dumbing yourself down. It's knowing exactly who you are, exactly who you are created to be. It's understanding the power and the authority that you're walking in in the now, but it also understands who God is seated on the throne and the immensity of his greatness, his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, and understanding the disparity between the two. As great as you might think that you are, when you stand before a holy God, you're still going to cry out and say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. But Jesus says, that's okay. I made a way when there was no way. And now, by faith, you become righteous. This is not behavioral modification. We're not doing some sort of system. I'm asking you to walk toward my face and allow my nature to overtake your nature so that you will be transformed into my image, not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. Amen. That's how he functions. So we were in these meetings and the executive director of a global ministry that you would all know. He runs the business portion of it. We were hanging out as guys. We're having guy time. You know, and adult guys, when they hang out, especially when it's around midnight, you know, we all turn into junior hires at that point. But this guy from this particular ministry <laughs> kind of wrecked it. It's around midnight. He says, I have a question for all of you. How would you define holiness? Everybody's kind of like, wait, we're going there right now? <laughs> and we just did three days of meetings. We're going there? Hope he's watching. We made fun of him for, uh, quite a bit the next day. He'll never do it again. But so we began to talk a little bit about it. But that's exactly what I said about holiness. See, the word says, no man can see the face of God and live. But really what we're talking about is no man can see the face of God and live life the way they lived it before. Holiness is proximity and intimacy with God. Because 
when you're standing before him and you're living before him and you're being like Jesus who says, I, I can do nothing of myself, I can only do what I see the Father doing, then you're going to want to remain in his name. Remember, his name isn't just something that we write down on a paper or that we read uh, out of scripture. It's not just a rubber stamp that we put at the end of a prayer. His name occupies space in our time. So Jesus said, I think it was in, in, uh, in John 14 and then again in John 17, he talks about, well, in John 14, 14, he talks about asking things that are in my name. If you ask in my name, it will be done. And then people are asking for all kinds of things. We're praying all kinds of things. And then we're saying in Jesus' name. And we're getting upset because those things aren't coming to pass. But the problem is the things that we're asking for aren't in his name. And so in John 17, he says, I manifested your name to them. And then he said, would you keep them in your name? You're not in a name that is simply inscribed on a tablet or simply, you know, you know, written down on parchment or in our Bibles. You are in something that is sacred, that is holy, that is set apart, that is above every other name, yet comes down to occupy space and the manifest reality of our present. We want to walk and be and live in the name. So... I did this illustration, I don't know, several years ago. I need, I need like five people. Zach, you're, you're up. Nikki, you're up. I need like three more people. Okay, you can come on up. Jeff, come on up. Let's make it six. I need two more. Very quickly, be bold. Let's go. Donna, drunk usher, let's go. You will cure two four forever be known as. And Ajay. And Emily, perfect. We'll go seven. That's a perfect number. Okay, let's get excited. All right. So I want the six of you to make a little circle. Not you, Ajay. You're outside. No, it's good. It's okay. No, I'm bigger. Bigger circle. Okay, Emily, you're in the middle. Now I'm a car guy, unabashedly so. I love cars but I always drive within the legal limit. I just approach that legal limit as quickly as possible. (laughs) Favorite car I ever drove was a Lotus Evora. Probably, probably people ask me what my dream car is, I think that's it. The Lotus Evora, it's a wonderful, wonderful machine. Look it up, it's beautiful, and all that. So, you know, we, we had the Word of Faith movement, right? And so it was, it, there were extremes of the Word of Faith movement with this sort of name it, claim it kind of thing. So if you pictured it, then you wanted it, and you named it, you claimed it, and then it would be yours. Here's the issue with that. Not everything we name is in his name. So this, these circle of people, this, these guys, this is the name. They are the name, the sacred space of the name Jesus. And Emily is in the name. So she's in prayer now. Emily, you're praying. Like you're just, you're, you're storming the throne of grace. You're throwing down. And Ajay is a Ferrari. I know I said Lotus Evora, but you know, the Lotus Evora, it has, it's basically a Toyota engine, which I keep telling my wife, it's a Toyota. It's practical. We should get one. The, the Ferrari has a nice V8. Sounds a little bit better a little bit faster, a little less practical. But the Evora, it's a Toyota, basically. 
So we should go to it's a Toyota Camry. How many people drive a Camry? I'd see, just drop that. Anyway, so Ajay, he's the Ferrari. Now, Emily, is, she saw a Ferrari driving down the road. And she's in the name of Jesus. And she's feeling the power and she's feeling the anointing. And she feels the glory on this Ferrari. And so she starts praying. And she's praying for all kinds of things. But now she's praying for this Ferrari. And she's seeing it. She has it in her heart. And she's calling it forth. But where is the Ferrari? It's not in the name. There are already things in the name that he imperatively wants to give to you. We see that in the life of Solomon. In the life of Solomon, he's becoming king after David. And, you know, David is the greatest king ever. Solomon's a teenager. And I can imagine the entire administration is looking at this kid who, after they serve the father, and they're saying, this guy's going to rule? Are you kidding me? And you could feel that. So what does he do? He hikes 10,000 feet to Gibeon and just starts slaughtering cows. And it's sacrificing. That's what they call it. Just be glad we don't have to do that anymore. Be glad that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice so that we have to come to the bridge metro west and start hacking away at cows and lambs and doves because my wife would have a real problem with that because she loves her animals and everybody else's animals and don't ever kill them unless you're going to eat them and if you're going to eat them she doesn't want to see that she just preserved the life so we don't have to do that but that's what solomon did and he's so consternated over this whole thing that god does what only he can do he speaks to him in a dream and then in the hebrew he says ask of god is saying to solomon ask of me what i am about to absolutely 100 percent give to you yeah. the only way that you can ever answer that is if you can open your eyes and recognize that you are in the name and you can see into the Father's heart what it is that he's about to give to you. And when you ask for something that is in the name, you see it, you name it, then it's yours. Ferrari's not in the name. Now here's another issue. Aji, I want you to come to this side. Now he's no longer Ferrari. Now he's Revival. He's the next move of God. Now, uh, I was in revival in the 90s. Like, I saw, I know what a sovereign move of God looks like and what it feels like. And I've seen it in the nations. Where you just walk into a room and God is and just things happen. You could sing about waffles. It doesn't matter. It's anointed. Which waffles are anointed. But that's neither here nor there. Now I'm dreaming about, but anyway. The problem is we, in humanity, and you see this even in Scripture, we build monuments to things that happened. And the kingdom is on the move. So Emily is, was in revival in the 90s. She's remembering the move of God. And she, oh, God, that was so great. The problem is the name of God, the kingdom of God is on the move. So I want the name to come and move. And you're going to surround Ajay because he's the next move of God. But Emily is still remembering. She's still rallied around the monument of a past move of God. And she's pining away and saying, God, would you do it in our day? Would you come with your fire? Would you come with your glory? And God's over here saying, revival is here. It's in the name. Would you get back inside the name so you can align with the purposes of God? And now Metro West is in full-blown fire and glory revival because we're in the name of Jesus. That's what it looks like. All right, give him a hand. You can all be seated.
We have to have discernment to understand when the name is on the move. I love what God did. But revival isn't all about people coming to our great meetings. Revival is the people of God spilling out into the streets just like they did into the upper room and speaking and loving and walking in power and boldness in such a way that we can fulfill the prophetic word, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you and nations will be drawn to the brightness of your being. The kingdom is on the move. But if you have a thing, you're going to value the thing more than the name so that when the name departs from your thing, you won't even recognize it because you're worshiping something that he created instead of the creator. In his name, there is provision, there's protection, there's proclamation, and there's direction. I'm not going to go through all of those for the sake of time. And you'll all thank me for that later. But you can meditate on that. In his name, there's provision, there's protection, there's proclamation, and there's direction. And most importantly, in his name, there is a transference of his nature to your nature. Your nature is transformed in his name. And the only way that you can go back to your old ways or new ways of impurity is if you depart from the name and the nature of God. That's what holiness is. If you maintain a posture before him, you cannot maintain your posture before him and live life the way that you lived before. You have to depart from that thing to go back to the stuff like a dog returns to its vomit. That's what the scripture says. You have to leave his presence and you have to leave the light of his glory to go back to what you were doing before. And, and sometimes we just go back and forth at will and we're not being fully transformed into his image because we keep going back to that which is lesser than. Now, understanding provision, protection, proclamation, direction, let me say this one thing about that. Because we think protection means everything's going to be great all the time. Jesus never left the protection of the Father, but the Father still led him to the cross. Because your destiny is more important than your momentary affliction. Jesus' destiny was to be glorified at the right hand of the Father, to return back to Abba. And so because of that, and he understood that, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. That's what that Hebrews passage is talking about. So we can be in complete the, the complete protection of the direction of God on our lives and still walk through suffering and persecution. God wants to bless you. It starts in Genesis 1.28, but Jesus also said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And he hadn't actually overcome the world yet. It's just that Jesus lived outside of our timeline because he's fully God and fully man. He is here as man in the flesh, but because he knew the Father so well at that point in time, he understood that, oh, I've already overcome the world in the heavenly realm. And so the heavenly realm has already decided that this is done, and now we're just walking out the manifestation of this victory on the earth. See, he can do that because he had this eternal,
internal mindset that enabled him to endure momentary afflictions. So while we live in the name and we have protection, we can be like Stephen. Now, I, I hope none of us get stoned to death like Stephen did. I think Acts chapter 8. But he had the greatest revelation of his life as stones are being hurled at his head. And so much so that he wasn't even worried about the rocks anymore. He looked up and he said, behold, I see him. I see Jesus seated on the throne and he's saying it out loud and it's just making the people around him more angry because as they, they think they have the power over him, but Jesus turns the table and saying, no, I have the power over you and I'm going to give you another chance to have this revelation while you're throwing the rocks to kill my servant. While you're doing your worst, I'm doing my best and he's seeing things that he's never seen before and he's about to enter into my glory. It's a win-win proposition. So in Acts 3, he's like, that was my intro. <laughs> Had to get through that. It says this, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, that's three o'clock in the afternoon. They're going to go pray. And they're going to be on time because they're not like the Church of America. <laughs> Shows up 15 minutes late to everything. Fashionably late, of course. They want to be on time. And you got to understand, now we build theology and doctrine around things that we read because we don't understand context. Look, every time they went to the synagogue to pray, there were beggars outside. Every time. There were sick, there were cripples, there were poor. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And they were on a mission from God to go and pray, which is noble. It was the right thing to do. They're the apostles of Jesus. They should go and pray. And they should show up on time. But this time, in this instance, they see a man who is lame from birth. And he just, he never walked. And he's carried to the gate and deposited there to beg for money. Which I find interesting. I could probably do more study on this, but I'm like, who carried him? And did they get a cut of the money? Like, what was in it for them to carry this guy to the gate? I just, I know how humanity is. I understand. But anyway, this guy's deposited. And he's begging for money. And in this instance, they see the light of God shining on this guy. And so, even though they're going for prayer, they stop. Not because they stopped for every single person, but because they had walked with God, because they had stayed inside the name. They, as they moved, they understood this guy's in the name, which means that although our plan was to go here, we'd better stop here because the name is stopping. Yes. The kingdom is stopping right here. Yes. 
we were we were in California, and uh, you know we we had a day. We go out as is custom. We take a bunch of the leaders and you know some different people that we invite to go and and do a day trip around. We go to Paso Robles, and then we go to Cambria, which is on the coast. And we were in Cambria, and we had you know been walking around the beach and stuff, and looking at water and seals and you know animals or lions. I see lions. I don't know what they were. Yeah, sea lions, sea lions. Yeah, they were big. Um. And there was this elderly woman that was up at the top, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw her walking and starting to take the steps down toward the beach. And immediately, I was like, uh-oh, because we, we had dinner. I mean, dinner's important. Food's important. You know, the prayer people, they like to fast and pray. I like to eat. And I like to pray, too, and I fast occasionally, but it's not my favorite thing to do. I remember sitting at the table with Lou Engel and a revivalist. And Lou Engel was, I mean, he was shouting because that's just how he talks. He was like, I want you to declare Nestor fast to the nations. And the revivalist was like, I'm not doing that. He was like, you guys need to pray more. And the revivalist looked at him and said, you need more joy. This is really happening. Now, Now, while Lou is calling for an Esther fast of the nation, he, he's eating like an 80-ounce steak. <laughs> it wasn't 80 ounce, but it was sizable. It's bigger than any steak I've ordered in recent memory. I get the, usually the little fillets because I don't eat that much anymore. But, he, you know, but I guess if you do 40-day fast as much as he does, when you're not fasting, you better eat some meat. You know what I mean? You got to replenish something. So he's like, you need more joy. And Lou was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. You're right about that. It's fine. It's fine. So we were going to have dinner. You know, good food. You know, the restaurant's like right on the shore. It's nice. And we knew we had to get there because there was going to be a wait. But the name stopped at this woman. And she started to approach us. And I'm like, oh, we're going to be late. And, you know, I don't know, we were probably trying to take selfies and stuff because that's what they do in California. I mean, I know we do that here too, but like California's a whole other level with, with social media. They can take a picture of every food, every drink, everything. I, I, I think about it later. I was like, oh, I should have taken a picture of that meal, I guess. That's what, what the kids are doing, I guess. Or now at this point, it's what the old people are doing. I don't know what the kids are doing anymore. <laughs> I'm of that age. I'm 50. I don't know what's going on. So she goes, I hey, I could take a picture of you. And we were kind of resistant because like our people know how to take pictures. Like we had the fashion designer with us. She also does fashion photography. Like she knows how to take pictures and she can put, put together a video like that. Like, like we do this trip and like by the time we go to bed, like she sends us this like edited video of the day. It was incredible. But we give her the phone. We let her take the picture. And the fashion designer walks up to her and this lady's 80 something years old. And she looked at her and said, you are so beautiful. And the woman broke down in tears and she said, it's nice to be seen again. And then we really stopped. We surrounded this woman. We loved on this woman. We shared Jesus with this woman. We prayed over this woman and she wept and she wept, and she wept, 
And then my buddy, Evie, that you guys know, he's always with Che. He'll be here, I think, uh, in November when Che's here. Just embraced her, and she collapsed in his arms. And then she wanted to follow us to dinner. (laughs) But she said, I will never forget this day. Because we always have a plan. On Sundays, we always have a plan. But the goal is to figure out where the name is. See, that's what the apostles did here. They didn't, see, we would build a ministry school around this. And I know there's one particular ministry that I I completely honor and revere 100%. One of the most anointed people that I have ever been around in a meeting, like top two probably, top two or three. And we would build this whole thing about stopping for the beggar. But sometimes God has you stop and sometimes he has you go. And when you have a heart of compassion, you will break in the stopping and you will also break in the going because you, you feel like, oh my gosh, there, there were more people that we could touch. But even with Jesus, when he goes to the pool of, of Bethesda, he heals the one man. But you got to understand, there was hundreds of people there that were looking for healing, but he healed one and then he moved on. See, what would happen in the Church of America or just the church globally is that we would start criticizing Jesus because he healed the one and not the rest and be like, oh, well, he doesn't have an authentic gift because if he did, everyone would have been healed. The reality is that everyone that came to Jesus got healed and then sometimes he went to someone to heal them so that there would be a testimony of Jesus in future days. Do I understand all the ways of God? I don't. Have we seen people healed? Yes. Have we lost people? Yes. What do you do when you feel like, and I'm stealing this from Robert McMillan, but what, what do you do when you pray for someone and they don't get healed? Then you raise your hand and you say, next! Because we are called to preach the gospel, to release salvation, healing, and deliverance. Sometimes we see incredible victories And sometimes we mourn with those who mourn. In all things, we love, we honor, and we uphold. So they stopped. But it's not a formula. They knew how to respond in an unexpected circumstance because they had walked with Jesus, and they saw how he operated. They knew how to respond in unexpected circumstances because they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Had they walked with Jesus before that? Yes. Were they empowered by the Spirit before that? Not like that. There's salvation. That's free. Overcoming is an option. To be overcomers, you need to be saturated in the fire of the Holy Spirit with power and anointing. And I love those experiences. I've had so many. You know, when I was in my 20s, I felt like every worship service should be a mountaintop experience. Reality is, it's not. The reality is in Scripture, every time someone in Scripture has an experience with God on top of the mountain, they're still tasked to go back down to the valley. 
And we think that intimacy happens in the mountaintop. Proximity happens in the mountaintop experience, but intimacy happens in the valley when you still choose to walk in in obedience, even though you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death. And you learn to fear no evil because you understand that the God who is at the top of the mountain is also with you in the valley. And so you might feel like you're in a wilderness place. You might feel like you're detached. You might feel like you're in some place where God is void. It's dry. It's destitute. But here's the reality. The prophet says, a voice calls out from the wilderness, wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's you. So if you're in a wilderness, stop trying to get out of it and start plowing the ground where you are because you are literally preparing the way of the Lord, the way for God to be fully manifest in a dry place. Salt and light is not required on a meal that is fully and properly prepared. Salt and light is required in the process of cooking something, of making something. And once it's properly prepared, you don't have to put any more salt and light on it unless there's something wrong with you. And there might be, but that's a whole other story. But God will put you in a place to be salt and light. Why? Because that's what's needed in that ground. Salt and light. You encounter God in the mountaintop, but you become a friend of God in the valley. You're not instantly friends of God when you say yes to Jesus. You become a disciple. Jesus didn't call his disciples friends until they had walked with him 24-7 for three years. But a few years ago, a lot of the church was singing, I am the friend of God. And me being my cantankerous self would look at that and say, no, you're not. Because I see how you live life when you leave the mountaintop of your church experience. The circumstance of your life is much less of an issue. What is of supreme importance is your proximity to the name in the face of God. Even Moses in the Old Testament said in Exodus 33, 15, if your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Come on. I hear the voice of Natalie. Yes. They're getting ready for ministry teams. Watch out. That's before the cross. God even offered him an angel. We have whole conferences about angels. How to cooperate with your angel. Cooperating with the angelic, you know, the angel. I, I was in a church service in the 90s where a guy gave an altar call to come meet your angel. I was like, okay, now we're, now we're getting heretical. And there was a confrontation. It didn't go well. But this is a reality. So God offers them an angel. And you, you got to believe that if God is offering the people of God, Moses, an angel, like that angel is going to manifest. It's pretty cool. Like he's probably going to have a sword and they're going to go to the promised land. The angels are going to just start hacking stuff away. And, but see, that wasn't the plan. It was a test. God was saying, do you want the stuff or do you want the heart? If you go for the heart, you still get the stuff. But if you seek the stuff, you'll never get to the heart. So sometimes we'd rather be released from a circumstance without the presence of God than stay in it with him. I want to stay in it with him most of the time. He can hear your complaints. It's okay. God can handle that. He can handle the truth. Honestly, read the Psalms. 
That's why we don't build a lot of theology out of the Psalms because it's, it's the honest expression of a creative heart. And there is space in the kingdom for that. Let's stop trying to force worship leaders and worship writers to make sure that every single song is 100% doctrinally correct. That's the job of the teacher. Let the creative people create and not critique every creation to make sure that it fits my little doctrinal box. Side note. That's another message. Acts 4, 8 through 13. We're going to close with this. Before I read that, I want to ask you again, what are you known for? Where are you walking? Are you seeking comfort? Or are you seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness? So now we're on the other side of this whole thing. So they pray for the guy. He gets healed. He didn't really pray for him. As a matter of fact, he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk. Did he pray for him? No. He just took authority of the situation because he had authority because he had walked with Jesus. He didn't have authority just because he said yes to Jesus and said a sinner's prayer and believed. It's because he walked in obedience and because he was faithful and little, the Lord gave them more as they went along. And they were willing. They loved their lives. Not, I mean, what's... Not unto death, yes. I was like, not unto death, or is unto death? Why? The point is, they were willing to give their lives for Christ. And because of that, they were given authority. So now they're persecuted. Yeah, the leaders descend upon them. It's not good. Now, in our estimation, we would see that, and we'd be like, oh, they must have missed God. Because they prayed for the guy, got healed, but now there's all this calamity and the city is in upheaval and, you know, they didn't submit to authorities and, and now there's all these issues. But no, they were exactly where God wanted them to be because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. So now they're on the other side of this and as if they hadn't caused enough trouble, Peter speaks, as he was prone to do. He, you know, at one point swung a, swung a physical sword and now he's swinging the sword of the Lord. Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, understand that there's a distinction in the word of God that, uh, that uh, God felt it was necessary to say, now Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning that there are pockets of time where we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a, an infilling for a purpose. Or what Bill Johnson would say, you know, the Spirit of God is in us for our benefit, but the Spirit of God moves, us up, moves upon us for others. There are, look, there are multiple infillings. We just got to go from glory to glory and believe the Bible and what it says and understand it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for, for a benefit done to a sick man, which is crazy, but that's the way it was, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you. Peter apparently did not read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> He's the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. 
There are not multiple ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there you go. Peter's reinforcing that. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What are you known for? I've said it so many times over the last few years. We want to be a people who are known to have been with God. I don't, you know, when I'm out there, I don't lead with, oh, my name's Paul. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor here at the Bridge Metro West. I don't tell my neighbors that. I don't, I don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as someone who's been with God. I want to be standing before someone and they get hungry for what's in me, not because I tell them who I am, but because they recognize that there's something on me that is greater than the experience that they have, that there's a holiness, that there's a righteousness, that there is a, a, a sonship that I've been cut off from this this orphan spirit and I'm firmly rooted in the family of God and have a security even in times of calamity. I want people to look and understand that, oh, they begin to recognize me as one who has walked with Jesus. What are you known for? Well, my name's Jimmy and I'm a prophet. Now, my name is Paul David and I'm a son of God because he bought me with the price of his life. He paid for my sin, past, present, future. He said, as far as the east is from the west, I've cast your sin for you. He loved me so much that the the father sent his son to die, to become the perfect lamb of God, Tamim, without spot or wrinkle, this perfect lamb of God that would pay for for the sins of the world, that would literally take on the sin of the world and carry it to the grave and and for it to never be resurrected again for those who love him and identify him and call him by name. It's not a promise for everyone, as universalists might say. It says, God so loved the world that he sent his own son to die so that whosoever believeth in the King James, whosoever fully puts their trust in him, not just believe that he existed, but come into a relationship where we make Jesus the primary uh, primary authority and director in our lives. Not that we won't make mistakes, but the goal of our life is to stay inside the name. Then those will have eternal life. Salvation is free, but overcoming is an option. Take both. Take both. And you might say, I don't know, this is you know, it's so hard. I, you know, I, I do this or I do that or I watch these things and this is my life and all my parents and my family, you don't know what my life was like. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is talking to Israel and he's saying, you know what, this isn't too hard for you. Let me just read that. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, one of my favorite passages of scripture. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. You were made for this. And his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness according to your knowledge of him. And if you don't know him, man, I want to introduce you. 
because I beheld his glory and the things that I speak come from the space of what I have seen and experienced in him. I'm not telling far off stories or fables. I'm speaking from the very experience that I've had in Christ Jesus, Yeshua, the anointed one who is seated at the right hand of the Father and his throne is vibrating under the power of his sovereignty in such a way that his throne even is exploding into thunders and lightnings because when even he comes and sits upon his people and is enthroned upon our praise, you better believe that nothing contained, nothing created can contain his glory. I speak from the testimony of what I have seen and what I have beheld. I'm not doing this because my dad did it or it's some kind of family business. I'm doing this because he brought me into this space to speak of the glory and goodness of God in the face of the enemy. And I can say my God is greater my God is stronger if God is for me who can be against me I've stood in the face of the enemy I have stood in the face of witch doctors and demonic forces of every kind and I've stood firm with a little bit of amusement in my my heart saying this is really where you want to be you want to be standing in the presence of the living God right now because I proclaim his blood and the power of the cross in this room to eradicate every work of darkness off of our lives, to take the scales off of our eyes, that we all corporately may behold his glory and spill out from this place with joy in our hearts that is our strength and speak the testimony of Jesus, which also happens to be the spirit of prophecy. And our prophecy isn't our thing. He is the thing that makes us who we are. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.